Macbeth had totally mystified me. I'd spent the entire weekend struggling with the antiquated language and weird names of the characters, unable to even figure out the most basic aspects of the story. I opened my book, staring down at the lines of dialogue. Had I but died an hour before this chance, I had lived a blessed time, for from this instant there's nothing serious in mortality. All is but toys. Nope, I thought. Nothing. Lucky for me, Jason, who was not about to leave his grade in someone else's hands, was used to taking control of group work. So he opened his notebook to a clean page, pulled out a pen, and uncapped it. First, he said to me, let's just get down the basic themes of the play. Then we can figure out what to write about. I nodded. All around us, I could hear our classmates chattering, the tired voice of our English teacher, Mr. Sonnenberg, telling us, again, to please settle down. Jason skipped down a few lines on his page. Murder. I watched him write. His handwriting was clean, block-style, and he moved across the page quickly. Power. Marriage. Revenge. Prophecy. Politics. It seemed like he could go on forever, but then he stopped and looked at me. What else? he asked. I glanced back down at my book, as if somehow the words there would suddenly form together into something coherent. I could feel Jason looking at me, not unkindly, just waiting for me to contribute. I don't... I said finally, then stopped, the words sticking. I swallowed then started over. I don't understand it, actually. I was sure, hearing this, he'd shoot me the same look he'd given Amy Richmond. But Jason surprised me, putting down his pen. Which part? Any of it, I said. And when he didn't roll his eyes as I'd been expecting, I added, I mean, I know there's a murder plot, and I know there's an invasion, but the rest? I don't know. It's totally confusing. Look, he said, picking up his pen again. It's not as complicated as you think. The key to really understanding is to start with the prophecy about what's going to happen. See, here. He started flipping pages in his book, still talking, and pointed out a passage to me. Then he read it aloud, and as his finger moved across the words, it was like he changed them. Magic! And suddenly they made sense. And I felt comfort. Finally. All I'd wanted for so long was for someone to explain everything that had happened to me in this same way. To label it neatly on a page. This leads to this leads to this. I knew, deep down, it was more complicated than that. But watching Jason, I was hopeful. He took the mess that was Macbeth and fixed it. And I had to wonder if he might, in some small way, be able to do the same for me. So I moved myself closer to him. And I'd been there ever since. Now, he zipped up his laptop case and put it on the bed with the rest of his stuff. Okay, he said, taking one last glance around the room. 
Let's go. His mom and dad were already in their Volvo when we came outside. Mr. Talbot got out, opened the trunk, and he and Jason took a few minutes getting everything situated. As I got in the back seat and put on my seatbelt, Mrs. Talbot turned around and smiled at me. She was a botanist, her husband a chemist, both of them professors. They were so scholarly that every time I saw either of them without a book in their hands, they looked weird to me, as if they were missing their noses or their elbows. I tried not to think about this, as she said, So, Macy, what are you going to do until August without Jason? I don't know, I said. I was working at the library, taking over Jason's job at the information desk. But other than that, the next eight weeks were just looming ahead, empty. While I had a few friends from student council, most had gone away for the summer themselves, to Europe or camp. To be honest, Jason's and my relationship was pretty time-consuming. Between yoga classes and student government stuff, not to mention all the causes we dealt with, there just hadn't been much time for anyone else. Besides, Jason got easily frustrated with people, so I'd been hesitant to invite new people out with us. If they were slow or lazy in any way, he lost patience fast, and it was just easier to hang out with him or with his friends who could keep up with him. I'd never really thought about this as a bad thing, actually. It was just how we were. On the way to the airport, Jason and his dad discussed some elections that had just happened in Europe. His mom fretted about construction traffic, and I sat there, looking at the inch between Jason's knee and mine, and wondering why I didn't try to move closer to him. This wasn't new. He hadn't even kissed me until our third date, and now, after a year and a half, we still hadn't discussed going all the way. At the time we met, someone just hugging me still felt like too much to bear. I didn't want anyone to get too close. So this had been all I wanted. A boy who understood how I felt. Now, though, I sometimes wished for more. At the airport, we said goodbye at the gate. His parents hugged him, then discreetly walked across the waiting room to stand at the window there, looking out at the runway and the big stretch of blue sky that hung over it. I put my arms around Jason, breathing in his smell, sports stick deodorant and acne cleanser, deeply, so I'd get enough to last me a while. I'm going to miss you, I told him, so much. It's only eight weeks, he said. He kissed me on the forehead, then quickly, so quickly I didn't even have time to react, on the lips. He leaned back and looked at me, tightening his arms around my waist. I'll email you, he said, and kissed me on the forehead again. As they called his flight and he disappeared down the hallway to the plane, I stood with the Talbots and watched him go, feeling a tug in my chest. It was going to be a long summer. I'd wanted a real kiss, something to remember, but I'd long ago learned not to be picky in farewells. They weren't guaranteed or promised. You were lucky, more than blessed, if you got a goodbye at all. My dad died, and I was there.
This was how people knew me. Not as Macy Queen, daughter of Deborah, who built pretty houses in brand new cul-de-sacs. Or as sister of Caroline, who had had just about the most beautiful wedding anyone had ever seen at the Lakeview Inn the previous summer. Not even as the one-time holder of the record for the 50-yard dash, middle school division. Nope. I was Macy Queen, who'd woken up the day after Christmas and gone outside to see her father, splayed out at the end of the road, a stranger pumping away at his broad chest. I saw my dad die. That was who I was now. When people first heard this, or saw me and remembered it, they always made that face, the one with the sad look, accompanied by the cock of the head to the side and the softening of the chin. Oh, my goodness, you poor thing. While it was usually well-intentioned, to me it was just a reaction of muscles and tendons that meant nothing, nothing at all. I hated that face. I saw it everywhere. The first time was at the hospital. I was sitting in a plastic chair by the drink machine when my mother walked out of the small waiting room, the one off the main one. I already knew this was where they took people to tell them the really bad news, that their wait was over, their person was dead. In fact, I'd just watched another family make this progression, the ten or so steps and the turn of a corner crossing over from hopeful to hopeless. As my mother, now the latter, came toward me, I knew. And behind her, there was this plump nurse holding a chart.